And today we're kicking off the first week of missional hospitality. The first week of missional hospitality. And what do we mean by missional hospitality? The mission is, honestly, the mission of Jesus. Because Jesus came, and he was really clear on this, and you're going to hear that, this in the scripture that we read today, that he came to seek and to save the lost. That was his purpose. And we as his followers share in that mission, don't we? We're called to follow him and to join him in this great mission, this kingdom mission of uh, the great welcome of God. I loved what, uh, what uh, Josh shared with us last week about the great welcome of God. We get to participate with him and the Holy Spirit in terms of this great welcome to the entire planet, to the entire earth. It's this mission to love the hell out of people. <laughs> That's what we're called to do. You've heard me say that before, but it's true. We're here to love the hell out of people. That's what he came to do, and that's what we're called to do as believers and followers of his. But many of us get confused, and we believe that this, this, uh, the way that, that this mission is carried out is through some kind of church event, or, or let's hold a revival, let's build a tent, right? Or let's hold a big conference. We'll go into a city and we'll hold a big conference, right? Or we'll, um, let's call an intercessory prayer meeting and we'll pray that way. And none of these things are wrong in any way, shape, or form. But it's not necessarily the, the way that Jesus spread the good news of, uh, of, and the kingdom. Because what Jesus did was he did it from house to house and from meal to meal. And so our, our goal in this series, let me tell you what this goal, the goal of this series is not. It's not a six-week event or activity for us to participate in six weeks, like call up some friends and family, do some things, check the box, and then, okay, we've done that, and we're done. That's, honestly, if, we do, if that's our mission, then we're doing this for the wrong reasons because that's not our heart. In this whole thing, our heart is to create a to create in each of us a new life rhythm of partnering with the Holy Spirit to seek the lost and the broken, to see the people around us who are lost and broken, and to reach out to them with love and create a life rhythm of margin. This is hard for some of us. I'm probably the you know, I'm busy up to here. <laughs> can anybody relate? But we need margin in our lives so that we can reach out, so we can really see the people around us, our neighbors and our friends. We call it our oikos. It's the people that we come alongside in our everyday journey of life, whether we're work or at the store or at the gas station, whatever it is, we, we begin to see people around us. And most of them are lost and they're hurting and they're broken and they're just longing for love and community and relationship. The problem is, is that this is pretty hard. Let's just be honest, right? Especially we're coming out of COVID and we've spent three years not doing this, right? I mean, let's just be real. We've, we were told not to do this and, and many of us, we had to. And I'm not trying to say that that was, I'm just saying we're coming out of that and we've developed life rhythms 
of not connecting with people, of not seeing people, right? We kind of put on our blinders and we became very transactional. Just think about like when you go to the grocery store and you're at the checkout counter and that person that's helping you check out. We're transactional. We don't see a person hurting and in need. We see somebody that's going to help us get from point A to point B or to help us to check out our groceries. And we say thank you and maybe that's our only interaction and then we're moving on to the next thing because there's somewhere else to go and somewhere else to be. And so this is hard. And then life happens, right? And and we get so busy with, with going here and going there and our work and our job and our house and our things and our stuff, right? And life just happens and it just kinda takes over and it becomes difficult to create any kind of margin, if you will, to really see people and to love them. See, what happens is, and, and even in the residual of these three years is, is really what happens is our worldview gets contaminated. And what I mean by worldview, it's, the, it's your view of how you see yourself, how you see others, and how you see God. That's your worldview. It's how you see yourself, how you see others, and how you see God. And it's been contaminated, right? And because of that contamination, we, we, we develop life rhythms that aren't necessarily Jesus rhythms. Let me say it that way. And, you know, for some of us, we get so overwhelmed, like if we stop and we start looking at Facebook or we look at the news or we look at the, the world around us and we see so much hostility towards God, or we see so much brokenness that we just get overwhelmed. <laughs> it's overwhelming. And we feel powerless. Let's just be real honest. We feel powerless to even like, can we even make a difference here? Can, can we have any kind of impact? I mean, I, the, the gospel of Jesus Christ sounds great and all that kind of thing, but man, you know, can I really impact somebody's life? And so really what happens is we become a little numb, if you really think about it, or we put the blinders on and we don't even look, and we just kind of like, it's almost like we're waiting for heaven. <laughs> come, Lord Jesus, come. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, come, Lord Jesus, I'm ready for you to come back right now, take me home. And we're kind of done. Or we kind of develop this, like, you know, we get, we get cynical, don't we? We see all this brokenness, we see all this hostility, and we become, um, we just become a little cynical, right? And, and maybe a little frustrated with how, what people are doing. And we're like, how can you do that? You know, and, and, and then, then what sets in is this mindset of judgment, and so we start judging and condemning and, and we join in the hate. Let me say it that way, right? It's, it's popular right now to hate or to shoot down or to scold or whatever you want to call it. It is what it is. And we kind of get this judgmental mindset like, like God is, is probably frustrated about this. He's kind of done with this too, right? And so we get this this, our worldview is stained, it's, it's contaminated with this idea that God is sitting there judging and not welcoming. So how do we co- overcome this, right? These are, these are real things that all of us experience, 
Right? These are real things in our lives. How do we overcome this? How do we break free of this? How do we create new life rhythms that line up with Jesus? Because we're all, I know the Holy Spirit is in each one of you. When I look across this room, and his presence and his love is moving in us, and it's touched us in a real and a powerful way, and we're called right, to release that to others. So how do we do this? Like I said, it can be overwhelming at times. But I think Jesus gives us a really clear path. So open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 19, 1 through 10. This is what we want to explore, okay, for the next six weeks. This is the journey that we're on together. And, and I'll be the one... I'm not standing here in front of you going, I got this perfected, come look at me. <laughs> I'm the farthest from that. And I'm going to share some stories about that. But that doesn't make what we're studying and what we're entering into any more um, truthful and real and something that Holy Spirit, I believe Holy Spirit is inviting me and he's inviting us to a new way of life to a new way of seeing people, to a new way of seeing ourselves and our homes and the things that the Lord has blessed us with. Instead of things that we're just to, to enjoy, it's like, how can I use this thing in front of me to help reach the world around me who's hurting and broken? So Luke chapter 19, we're gonna be reading the story of Zacchaeus. It's, it's verse one through 10. So you, Get, get there with your device. And to give you a little bit of background here on this, um, Jesus is on his way. He's making his way slowly from Galilee on his way, climaxing with Jerusalem where he's going to be crucified. And he's on this journey, okay? And he's going from town to town, and they're bringing the good news, and there's all kind of God encounters that are happening along the way. And so um, just northeast of Jerusalem is a little town named Jericho. And Jesus comes upon Jericho, and we're going to pick up the story there. Now, when we look at this text, I want to just challenge you. We talk about something here at the Vineyard. It's called kingdom theology. And I'm just going to be really honest with you. I don't, I'm not saying this, I'm not trying to put down any other church. I'm just saying that kingdom theology is something, it's, it's very interesting and it's very real. I believe it's what Jesus taught us. If you look at the whole Bible from Genesis to Revelations, this idea of kingdom, right? This kingdom thread and the ruling and reigning of God upon the earth. But it's something that honestly you won't hear at a lot of different churches, okay? And again, I'm not saying we're better. I'm just saying that it's something that's at the heart of who we are. And it's very, very important. And it's very important to us because we believe it's, it's very important to Jesus. This message of the kingdom this gospel of the kingdom that he talks about. And so in kingdom theology, one of, the, one of the premise or the truths that we look at is that Jesus is the perfect representation of who God is. Jesus is the perfect representation of the, of the Father. He said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Right? So when we see Jesus acting and moving, it's in perfect agreement, it's in perfect alignment with who God is. 
And that's very, very important because a lot of times when we read scripture, especially in the Old Testament, we get this, we're like looking through a little peephole at something and we're looking at it and we're going, oh, we're trying to interpret this is who God is from that. In reality, sometimes that doesn't line up with what we see in Jesus. And so really we should question this and really stare at Jesus because he walked on this planet and we got to see how he interacts with us. And so he is the perfect representation of the Father. But he's also the perfect representation of who we are called to be as sons and daughters of the Most High God. That's amazing. Remember the what would Jesus do? That's applicable. Jesus said, come and do what? He said, follow me. Like, if we, could, if we couldn't do it, he wouldn't say, follow me. If we couldn't live like him and walk like him and speak like him, He said, the things that I do, you will do also, and greater things than these, because why? Because I'm going to the Father. So he's telling us, you're going to do the exact same works that I did. So Jesus is not only the representation of the Father, he's the representation of who we are called to be and to live and to walk and to be. And so I want you to keep that in mind as we're reading this Bible uh, scripture about Zacchaeus. In Luke chapter 19. So let's start. We're going to turn to um, verse 1. And what we want to do is we were talking about our worldview and how it gets contaminated. And I really, as we go through some of these points, my prayer is for each of us, including myself, that our worldview would be transformed. That would see, we would, our, especially how we see God and what's on his heart, and what he's passionate about. And then also, as we look at Jesus, our worldview would be transformed in terms of how we're called to live and how we're called to be in the earth. Okay. 19, verse 1. Let's start there. He entered Jericho and was passing through And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on on account of the crowd, he could not, because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, okay, this is the part that I would underline, because we're going to freeze and and really dive and sink our teeth into this, if you will. Verse 5, and when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. I love that. Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. I always think it's interesting. How did he know his name? Did he really know his name? That was probably a divine partnering with Holy Spirit, where Holy Spirit gave him a word of knowledge concerning his name, and and he called it out, right? I'm sure he was flabbergasted, right? When the God of all the universe in the flesh calls him out by name. It's an amazing story, right? It's an amazing picture of the heart and the character and the nature of God, because Jesus sees the one. That's our first point. That's our first thing that I want to really look at is that Jesus, the God of all creation, he sees the one. He sees the many, but he sees the one. 
He's concerned about the one. Remember the story of the, of the 100 sheep, right? The, the 99, he leaves the 99 to what? To save the one, to go after the one. And he sees this one win while he's on his way, right? As he's on his way through Jericho. It's not someone that's distant and far off. It's that person that he's walking by in that moment at that point in his life. It was in his oikos. It was someone nearby. There was a lot of troubles going on in the world at the time of Jesus. There was a lot of evil raging in the world at the time of Jesus. But one by one, right, he was releasing salvation to the one right next to him. And he saw the one. It, r- it reminds me of the parable of the, or the story of the starfish. Anybody remember the story of the starfish? I love it. It's a great story. Awesome story, right? So there's this man, and he's walking on this, along the beach, and there's, there's miles of beach in front of him, and there's these starfish that, are, um, that have been kind of pushed up onto the shore, going to die in the sun, right? And uh, there's, there's thousands of them, you know, miles of beach, thousands of starfish. He looks on ahead and he sees this little boy. And this little boy is running up onto the shore, grabbing a starfish, and he's running back and he's throwing it into the ocean. And so he kind of goes up to the boy. He's like, what are you doing? He's like, I'm saving the starfish. And he goes, do you really think? He said, son, look around. Like, look at all these starfish. Like, you're, you're, there's no way you're going to be able to make a difference. And the boy listened politely and then reached down, and he picked up another starfish that was right near him. He tossed it into the ocean, and he said, it made a difference for that one. It made a difference for that one. So we can all make a difference for a one. Right? We can all begin to see the one that's right next to us. See, a lot of us, that's why we were talking about that overwhelming feeling when we look at the magnitude and we look at the hostility and we look at all the people and how they're acting and conducting themselves. A lot of times we can get so overwhelmed with that, right, that we feel like we're powerless to make a difference. But we can make a difference for this one, the one that's right next to us. Maybe that's a person that you encounter every day, when you're going to the grocery store or you're going to the restaurant or you're going to school or you're sitting down next to someone at work, right? There's someone around you that is one. And, it's, and what the Holy Spirit is inviting us to do is to take our blinders off, right, in our life and to begin seeing the people around us, to move and to conduct ourselves like him. There's a story, uh, um, if you, Jim uh, Jim gave me this book. Jim Hitchcock gave me this great book called The Heavenly Man. If you ever get a chance, highly recommend it. Love this book. It's so ins- in- inspirational. It's about believers in China and them trying to follow Jesus. And it follows the story of this guy named Brother Yoon. Okay? And Brother Yoon ends up getting arrested like three, four times, a bunch of times. And one of the times, I'll never forget this story, he, he's arrested and they throw him in jail. And there's a bunch of cellmates there with him and there's this one guy that's obviously demon possessed like he is like he curses at people he yells he screams he has these fits of rage and he's just completely out of control everyone hates him in 
in the in the jail. And no one wants to be his cellmate. No one wants to be his cubicle mate in this in in this place. And Brother Yoon gets there and realizes this, and he says, "I'll I'll I'll be the one that goes with him." And so he ends up rooming with this guy. And what Brother Yoon does is he just loves this guy. He loves the hell out of him. He would, give, he would massage his feet, and he would massage his, his shoulders, and he would just, just, he would wash him, and he would care for him, and he would feed him, and he would just help him in any instance, just one act of kindness after another act of kindness, not preaching, not condemning, not arguing, and telling him how all the things that he's done wrong. He's just loving the hell out of him. This guy ends up getting saved. He gets completely delivered. Brother Yoon sets him free. By the power of the Holy Spirit, he gets completely delivered, gets baptized, comes to Christ, and he never left that jail cell. He died in that jail cell, but people, he led so many of those believers to Christ. He was the Paul of that jail cell. Because Brother Yoon saw the one. He didn't condemn, he saw the one. Jesus is inviting us to take off our blinders, right? To have our worldview renewed so that we can begin seeing people around us. It doesn't, this doesn't begin until we start to really see people. And our heart begins to be moved with compassion. And I, I, I have days, I get frustrated, I get it, I get cynicism, I get all that. And all I can do is just put your hand right there and just go, Lord Jesus, help me. God, I can't, but you can. Holy Spirit, come. Renew my heart with compassion. Renew my heart with love. The second thing I see is, as Jesus says, come on, Zacchaeus, I'm going to, he says, um, I'm going to eat in your house. I I think it's so interesting, right? Here he is, Jesus, he's coming into Jericho. And I mentioned this earlier, but he didn't set up a tent and call a revival or start preaching on the corner or assemble the saints for a conference or call a special prayer meeting or any of those kind of things. He says, I'm going to have a meal with Zacchaeus. And I think a lot of us struggle in this, right? We have this institutional mindset. And it's been, honestly, this is something that's been around for a long time, for the institutionalization of the church. And we've been stuck inside these four walls. Be real and honest, kingdom only happens here. This is the only place kingdom happens. But in the kingdom that Jesus taught us, that kingdom happens around a meal. It happens around a meal. Kingdom happens over a meal in a sinner's home. Man, there's no way that that the kingdom can break out in a sinner's home, that's, 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 the, that's the devil's area. How can the kingdom break out in a sinner's home? Bah humbug, right? The kingdom can break out because the, the, light always dispels darkness. Darkness can never win over light. Kingdom happens, and we have to get this into our minds and into our hearts, that kingdom happens at the dinner table, at the meal, in those quiet times together. That's where the kingdom, that's, where, that's what excites Holy Spirit. And it's something that we can participate with him in. And that's what we're going to learn, a new life rhythm. 
through these next six weeks. And the third thing I see from the, this set of scripture right here is it, this, that Jesus, God, is relational and not transactional. Let me say that again. Jesus is relational, not transactional. A lot of us are so ridden with, with, with tran- transactional thinking that when we come to God, we're like, God, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? And the Lord's like, I just want you to be. Be in my presence. Soak in my love. Let me walk with you and speak with you and talk with you and be with you. It's what we were designed for from the very beginning. It's what he created us for back in Genesis, right? He said when he, when he made us, he said he walked with us in the cool of the day. And then sin messed that relationship up, didn't it? In fact, sin is a, it, it, the, the result of sin is tra- tra- transactional thinking. It's transactional thinking. We were made for a relationship, and God expresses over and over again throughout the scriptures his longing, his desire to just be with us. And then this climaxes with Jesus when he comes to the earth, God coming and being with us. God of all creation, the God who formed the stars and the heavens, comes to to dwell with us. Emmanuel. And Jesus comes and he tells us the story of the kingdom, this story of the great welcome of God, that everyone's welcome, not just, not Jew only, but Jews and Gentiles and everyone is invited to this, this supper table. Supper table, excuse me. It's the wedding feast of the lamb, right? The wedding feast of the lamb. This is all going to climax. The end of the age comes when we have this great banquet at the, at the end called the wedding feast of the lamb. But when Jesus dwelled on this place, he, he walked with the apostles. He lived next to them. I mean, let's, like he, he prob- they probably urinated together, Right? I mean, I know that's, I, I, but do you, do you I'm, t- I'm, right? They probably had some moments and they giggled and they laughed and they farted and they did all these kind of things because they dwelt together. They were transparent, they were authentic, and they were real, and God loved it. It was the joy of his heart to dwell with us. I, I hope you're capturing the beauty of who Jesus is, who our God is. See, when Jesus came, he explained that God is a father. That was like foreign. They were like, how dare you call him father? That's for intimacy. He's the God of all creation. Don't call him father. How dare you call him Abba? But that's exactly what Jesus told us to call him because he longs to be with his kids. He longs to be with his children. Jesus demonstrates this relational connection with his disciples, and then he says, go out and do the same thing. So Jesus is carrying the gospel from house to house, from meal to meal, and he says, go out and do the exact same thing. And what did they do? 
the exact same thing. Now, I want to read a little passage here about this that I think is really interesting. It's some quotes from the Christianity Today article. It's called The Spread of the Early Church by Ken Curtis. He's a PhD. I'm just going to read it to you because I think it's fascinating concerning this very topic of this relational spread of the kingdom of God. The earliest Christians did not have church buildings. Let me say that again. The earliest Christians did not have church buildings. Let me see that one more time. The earliest Christians did not have church buildings. Not a single church building. They typically met in homes. The first actual church building to be found, uh, uh, building to be found is at Duro Europis on the Euphrates dating about 231. 231 years after Christ, the first church building was built. That's amazing. Was, I, yeah. They did not have public ceremonies that would introduce them to the public. They had no access to the mass media of their day. So how can we account for their steady and diverse expansion over the first three centuries? We're talking about nothing to Constantinople declaring that Christianity was basically the religion of the Roman Empire. Like, go figure that one out. Instead, the faith spread through a multitude of humble, ordinary believers whose names have been long forgotten. Justin Martyr, a noted early Christian theologian, wrote to Emperor Antonius Pius and described the believers. We formerly rejoiced in uncleanness of life, but now love only chastity. Before we used the magic arts, but now dedicate ourselves to the true and unbegotten God. Before we loved money and possessions more than anything, but now we share what we have to everyone who is in need. Before we hated one another and killed one another and would not eat with those of another race, but now the manifestation of Christ. We have come to a common life and pray for our enemies and to try to win over those who hate us without just cause. They didn't have any kind of political power. In fact, all the political powers were against them. All the political powers hated them. It's kind of feeling like it's kind of moving in that direction right now. In fact, they had no military force. There was zero military force. In fact, the militaries were set up against them, and the military force were hunting them down, throwing them in jail, or killing them. They didn't even have any kind of religious power. They had zero religious power. In fact, the religious people hated them. How did they do this? They did it from house to house and meal to meal, from neighbor to neighbor, loving the hell out of people. That's what they did. It was this undercover guerrilla warfare of love. It was this undercover guerrilla warfare of love. Now, I've, I've struggled with this. Uh, I, when I started to really study this material, I'm just going to give you a quick um, story that I'm very transactional. I, that would be my confession. I don't know where you're at on that whole spectrum, but I am very transactional. Like, what, what do I mean by that? 
It's like, if I'm talking to Darren, it's like, what am I going to get out of this conversation with Darren? Or if I'm talking with Bob, it's like, what am I going to get out of this conversation? Is this something that I want to explore? You see what I'm getting at? Like, it's like, what am I going to get out of this? It's not about giving or being or connecting. It's about getting. And I, when I saw this, I was just like, I got to get out of this. I got to quit this. I got to renew my mind. I can't, I got to quit being transactional. And so I just, I just was like, Lord, help me, right? Lord, help me. Let's move on to um, verse 6 through 10 here, and we're going to close up. So he, being Zacchaeus, hurried and came down. And they received him joyful, and he received Jesus joyfully. And when they saw it, this is what I would say, I want you all to underline, verse 7. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. Now, I don't know about you, but how many times have you read this scripture and assumed that the people that grumbled were the Pharisees? Raise your hand. It doesn't say that. It says they all grumbled. That's Matthew and Peter and Thaddeus and James. They were ticked. How dare you take this tax collector that has revolted against our country and defamed us and defamed our God, and you're going to dine with him? How dare you do that? They all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner, a lowlife. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he is also a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost, which is our fourth point, is that when everyone saw a sinner, Jesus saw a son. And listen, with this, uh, bef- like before we start pointing at the Pharisees or we start pointing the finger, I would dare say that everyone in this room, we're faulty of this thing right here. We see sinners. We don't see sons. We don't see daughters. We don't see children of the Most High. We don't see people that are hurting and struggling. We see people that need to be rejected. And this isn't the way of Christ. So why don't the worship team, why don't you guys come back up here and we're going to worship here together. This God who sees the one who is relational and not transactional. He's the God where king, uh, the kingdom breaks out in a meal and he's the God who sees sons and not sinners. Now, before we do this, we've made a commitment here at the Vineyard to give the opportunity to accept Christ every Sunday throughout 2024, okay? And so I just want to pause and give you a chance to do that. If there's anybody here, okay, let's go ahead and stand up. This will just take a minute. Jesus loves you, and Jesus sees you right where you're at and I don't know where you're at in terms of your relationship with him you could be like you've known him for a year 
Maybe you don't know him at all, and this is all foreign territory to you. And I would just say to you that Jesus loves you so much. And he's inviting you. He's standing at the door, and he's knocking on our hearts. And all we have to do is say yes to him. Lord Jesus, just come. For some of us here, it's, it's Lord Jesus, help me to really love people, to help me see people. Help me to see you, Lord, rightly. For some of us, the confession is, is Lord, I, I've been judgmental to people, and I, I, I want to throw that off. I want to take off that judgment robe, and I want to drop that at your feet. That's making Jesus the Lord of your life again. And for some of us here, it's, it's, it's the first time we're saying, yes, Jesus, I want you to be a part of my life. I want to have this close, intimate relationship with you. I'm tired of doing things in my own strength, and I want you in my life. And all you got to do is say yes to him. It's just giving him your yes.